0: Hey, everybody. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We are closing in on Device Talks Boston. As I'm sure you know, it's happening on May 10th and 11th. And as a warm-up, we're bringing you this episode of the podcast, which is sponsored by our friends at DeSauce Systems. DeSauce Systems will be presenting a conversation at Device Talks Boston called Patient Outcomes Driven Simulation. We'll talk about simulation, and it's part of a broader simulation theme at Device Talks Boston. And as we did last week, where we sort of previewed a conversation, we're doing that this week as well. We spoke with Claire Biot. She is Vice President of Life Sciences at DeSoto Systems. She'll talk about uh, DeSoto Systems' virtual twin platform and how it's being used to develop products more quickly, more efficiently, to do it more sustainably because they're using fewer materials. And uh, how they're able to both uh, simulate product and patient response to product, to product. Two products. So, simulation is uh, is used in a variety of ways increasingly in medical device development. And uh, Claire Biot will explain how DeSosa STEMs is contributing to that movement. Then, later on, we'll hear from Jites Fatil. He is Senior Program Director of Digital Health and Technology at MDIC, also known as the Medical Device Innovation Consortium. And uh, he'll explain how the industry can, can incorporate virtual twin technology simulation into uh into product development and we'll also have a link we'll t- we'll talk about mdic's landscape report and industry survey on the use of computational modeling and simulation in metal device development and we'll have a link to that report uh that survey in the show notes for this podcast so thanks to diso systems once again they connected us with uh with Claire Bio and jates fatale uh but these are the uh these are the interviews in their entirety. So, before we begin, I want to remind you that Device Talks Tuesdays is happening. This is our final episode of the uh, spring season. It's brought to you by Intertech and it's called The Evolution of Home Healthcare and Medical Device Compliance. In this conversation, we'll really be looking at how end users interact with their medical devices. So, as medical devices move out of the clinical health setting, what product developers need to do to make sure that the device is used properly. So once again, that one is sponsored by Intertech. You can register for that at devicetalks.com. You can watch that live or on demand. And of course, it's free, allows you to uh, expand your knowledge and network. So uh, make sure you register for Device Talks Tuesdays at devicetalks.com. All right, before we begin, I just want to remind you, Device Talks Boston, it's happening May 10th and 11th. If you want to save some money, use the code dtweekly twenty five. And you'll save 25% because, well, we just love our podcast listeners. All right, here we go. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Woo-hoo! Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? doing well Tom doing well getting over a bit of the sniffles are you yeah exactly but yeah. you know hey
1: you know we're moving through springs so looking forward to you know getting more of that vitamin D and just you know um yeah yeah, yeah. have a nice run. Good, good
0: riddance into the, the winter and the cold season. and all. There that. you go. That's the spirit. That's yeah, the spirit. We're yeah, we're coming up. It's, uh, it's mid-April. We are uh, less than three, three weeks removed from Device Talks Boston. Yeah. Hard to believe, but uh, things are coming together quite nicely. Yeah. Early May in Boston is beautiful. It typically is. Yes, it typically yeah. is. We have a lovely day today. Temperatures in the high 50s, low 60s. Very sunny. Uh, and hopefully, this will hold and uh, and stay true for the next, well, maybe warm up just a tad uh, for the next, uh, for Device Talks Boss, which is happening May 10th and 11th. Yeah. Program is filled out. Looks great. Folks should go to devicetalks.com. Your editorial team, our, our friends and colleagues have been posting aggressively on social media about all the speakers. So, people, if you're not you're connected, spreading with spreading the word. Spreading the word. Daniel Kerr, Sean Hooley, Jim Hammerin. Brian Bunce, find them all on LinkedIn if you want to see what's going on or to go to devicetalks.com and check out the agenda yourself. But uh, lots of buzz, lots of buzz.
1: Are you going to be outside like, you know, maybe like Boston Scientific Headquarters with a sandwich board maybe? Or like, do you think you're you going Yeah.
0: Yeah, I should, I, I should. You think? You think? Especially maybe get put, some merch. I know what I'll do. Get some merch, man. Get some swag. I'm going to print up like 5,000 flyers and go in their parking wow. lot and just put it on each and every windshield. I think they would like that i, I think might get arrested. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> might no, wanna... I think they'd appreciate my helping <laughs> to spread the word. Everyone yeah. loves a windshield flyer. Who doesn't love a windshield flyer?
1: Okay. Hey, I get in my the car, I'm of about the to drive, and
0: there's a flyer in front of you. I'd love getting up and <laughs> yeah, checking out what uh you know what liquor store is having a sale. I would love getting into my car and
1: realizing <laughs> there's a piece of paper on my windshield <laughs> as I'm trying to drive in the parking lot. It's Beloved. Beloved. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to hit was, every local
0: every local medical device company with flyers in the parking <laughs> lot. Prepare, folks. I'm <laughs> going through them. Going through them all. That'll be a good use of my time. <laughs> head
1: over to to carry a search call. There you I'm go.
0: Gonna get, <laughs> <laughs> get J&J. Oh, it's gonna be nice. There's a nephew. There you go. Maybe we oh, should get we a, a, a a Skyrider. What do you think? We could get them all at once with that. Oh, you mean just like uh you, know, so you realize Boston. I don't
1: have a pilot's license. I can't fly a little. Well, we would pay know, someone Cessna to do it or it. whatever. Well, yeah. you could
0: I imagine <laughs> if you could if you didn't have a pilot's license, your, your your penmanship skymanship would be a little rough. So we need a professional yeah. to do that, yeah. Yeah, you should get yeah. a get get somebody like who doesn't usually with
1: those propeller planes, you know, actually. Yeah. It wouldn't be a Cessna. That's or fast. the
0: or the flying uh the flying yeah. sign. Uh, the oh. thing that they, they 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 fly behind, right? You can do that too. All right. There we go. got lots of lots of great Fantastic. ideas. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who needs we got LinkedIn? This. We're gonna go old school with this promotion. That's right. Got yeah. the sandwich boards. <laughs> got the plane
1: with the banner. The flyers.
0: We're good. We're good. Just
1: fly that over a Red Sox game. It'll be great. It'll be awesome, man. Oh, I missed the
0: marathon. I missed that opportunity. All right, next. Oh yeah, year. you could have
1: done the marathon, yeah.
0: Could have done the marathon. All right. Well, well, lots no. of good ideas. I think we've I think we've stormed enough of our brains. I think we should probably get into your vaunted award winning yes. should should be new, Markers new Markers newsmakers Markers. list. We got to win new you an Markers award, Chris.
1: Newsmakers. What
0: kind of award can we win for you? We got to we got to create a, some kind of association that gives awards for news roundups, <laughs> and then we can give you the I first love award. It. Okay, we'll do that. I love it. Or
1: maybe we could lobby uh, the Asbees at least to have a uh, like newsletter or award, some something like that category.
0: Yeah. I think podcast news roundup be. award. Yes. Yeah. Sounds love good. I love it. Uh, I think we, right.
1: we, we got it. We, we're rocking this, man. We, we are just going.
0: killing this podcast. There's so many good ideas flowing. I hope no one's writing yeah. this down.
1: Yeah. Right. Killing no, <laughs> <down. laughs> our ideas. We slow down for yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 all right. All right. Number five. Number on the five. List. Yeah, people are busy right now. They got we got to get <laughs> they a gotta go. they <laughs> yeah.
0: enough of your idiocy, John. No, let like Chris talk.
1: Intuit. Okay, so we had uh we're going to start out with some good news uh for the week. We got That's uh, great. yeah, Intuitive had a really really good uh Q1 earnings report. Um, you know, they uh you know, s- set their stock up, you know, 12%, you know, when they uh they released the uh the results earlier this week. And uh yeah, street beating. They they've got the uh, you know the the installations for Da Vinci are heading up again. They uh, interestingly enough, um, there there was some talk on the earnings call about how they're they're making better cases to health providers about you know, even though this is like a large capital expenditure, you know the you know kind of the information on you know how you know the this system can like you know improve their efficiencies yep. and improve results and save money, you know. And so, so I, I think just a really good case of even though you know health providers are you know, having, you know, operational challenges, and they are kind of, you know, thinking about, you know, do we want to make some large capital purchases, actually, that if, you know, you can really make a good economic case, you know, you can, you can, you know, boost things up, and Intuitive added, you know, a few hundred, you know, new people to its headcount, you know, in the first quarter as well, so, you know, even though we've you know there's been a lot of tough news lately right yeah, you we'll, know, get, like to we'll get to that off. a little later yeah, yeah. yeah that's on the way um but um you know there's companies that are you know being uh being scrappy being innovative you know you know and they're they're hiring you know to grow through whatever we're working our way through right now economically so that's uh here's so here's the intuitive on that and um and actually just got a quick uh email from uh you know a uh you know from a official over at a atricure here around the twin cities and they have uh, nearly 80 open positions listed on their website so wow yeah no so there's people, definitely
0: opportunities out there um there are opportunities as, as we've talked about before the, the shock is there folks uh are hurt um but they should uh take the time to rest i think first assess yeah and then i think there's there's as we saw on linkedin and i made a note of it yesterday on linkedin lots of people are posting comments of support let me know if we can help we're hiring yeah. over here to my former colleagues i think it's great i think great it's great that people are stepping up and doing that
1: here in minnesota the medical alley association they've got a new they've they've revamped got a new new souped up job board
0: so that's great
1: they got special membership you know if you're in between jobs so and
0: yeah i think I, I hope folks will find a, find a, a safe bridge to to the other side so so two two points we'll get into the layoff stuff in a little bit about intuitive uh your point about sort of the data and the importance of that is interesting and I wonder where we're we gonna when we're we gonna get to the point where we're not talking so much about a surgical robotic system we're kind of de deemphasizing de-emphasizing the robotics and talking more about the data analysis and all that's gone into it. I mean, that's sort of what Gary Guthard talked a lot about at Device Talks West last year. It's what Intuitive yeah. talks a lot about. It's what Robert Cohen talked about in a podcast. And Stryker Talks earlier this year. The data, the data, the data, the data. We'll talk about that at Device Talks Boston on our uh, keynote panel on day two, May 11th. But uh, are we going to get to a point where we're not calling these surgical systems anymore? I mean, robotic I think systems we anymore? Could. Yeah. I mean, interesting. See when that happens.
1: I mean, I don't see people going around saying like, "I have cruise control on my car," you know. Like, <laughs> like it's just it's, it's something you usually expect if you buy yeah, a vehicle yep, that yep. there's you. I have, I can like, you know. Now we've got like even more souped up things, you know, like uh, you know, the, uh, you know, Tesla. Be, there's some people who try to let their Teslas drive on their own, like okay, you know, like yep. you know, But I mean, I, I I think it's uh yeah. I remember, what did God Godhart God say at uh? the Vice talks west like 10 years maybe but i i don't know it could be sooner i mean yeah. you know you could it just should be it could become like in just a few years you know like this accepted thing that in a lot of cases when you go in for a surgery that there's going to be something robotic involved you know helping uh helping the surgeon to perform the the procedure it's just going to be a given you
0: know? exactly yep no i agree yeah, with sure. that yep that reminds yeah. me when i was in journalism we had uh when I was at J school, actually getting out of J school, then the class that they were just starting the next year was computer assisted reporting. So this was like, Oh yeah. I remember
1: that. Yeah. Computer assisted. You you even have like, uh, yeah. like, Like
0: now it's like, that's reporting that's just, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> like you a, yeah without a computer so I look up
1: data online that helps yep. me yeah you know, like report on something uh, right? we
0: could but, have a whole talk, conversation about the, the chat GPT stuff that's the the slack channel that Brian Bunce is leading up is just yeah, fascinating. Our he,
1: Brian Bunce has been and Kayleen
0: Brown oh I forgot to mention earlier Kayleen Brown uh, on our, our device talk staff uh really finding some unique and I've been I've been actually starting to engage with it a bit just to kind of soup up my my LinkedIn post a little bit hey you know make this tighter hey you know make this shorter it's it's really intriguing <laughs> it, it can really do so intriguing. many different things um second point about intuitive and we'll go on but it just that there's at some point where you wonder like is their lead insurmountable like they're crushing it really true they're absolutely crushing it yeah it's like you know i'm, I'm and, hopefully you know i want my to succeed i want jnj to succeed i want all these <laughs> other entities to come up with their their lines but at some point it's like Wow. They're just they're just crushing it. They're placing lots of systems. I know there's a lot more room to go. So, right. you know, maybe it's like saying, you know, Ford was crushing it. So why should we have any other car companies? I don't know. But uh man, they're 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 just doing really well.
1: Oh no. I mean, even um, you know, just the uh you know, just just uh you know, earlier this month, I mean there was a I was reading one note out from BTIG about, you know, Medtronic and they're like, I it was tough. I mean, they were like, oh, you know, we went and we tried out the Hugo system, you know, and, um, you know, they were – they didn't see – they wondered whether it really differentiated that enough from what Intuitive yeah. did. I mean, they're kind yeah. of like, oh, Medtronic could get into some outside the U.S. markets well with it, but, like, it, like they – you know, they were wondering really, like, how much – because Intuitive really has entrenched itself so well over the last few decades. I mean, I, yeah. I, I suspect if you're going to compete, you better have something – that's really like different or a niche or, you know, mm. or, some, or something like, you know, we, we talk about a company like Moon Surgical. Oh, it's a robotic surgical assistant, you know, like right. something, something that's, you know, that's, that's making like a different, different play. Um, yeah, of they, vicarious,
0: which is, you know, putting all the arms basically inside the body and kind of requiring fewer openings just saying mm-hmm. perhaps i imagine that would make it a simpler procedure i'm not i'm not a surgeon but. on the
1: flip side i could see like a huge company like um, medtronic or johnson johnson i mean you're making all these surgical tools and you know a robot is a is this really important thing you could have all these tools being sold around i mean you know mm-hmm. in, in the ortho space i mean striker's had a lot of success with mako on that oh, yeah. and um i mean it's it's you got to compete but striker bought a company
0: they bought a yeah. system that was you know mostly complete and and they just kind of built off of that. Maybe that's something we'll see more of. But yeah, anyway, we'll see. Just some, let's roll into number four, Chris Newmarker. What's hey. number four in the Newmarker's Newsmakers?
1: Hey, so you know, number uh, you know, number four on the list, uh, we've got uh, we've got uh, this was actually from the end of last. Week we have uh, a company uh, Neuromod, uh you know de- devices. They uh, you know closed on a uh, you know thirty three million dollar raise uh, to support a, uh, a tinnitus. Uh, I think it's, that's how I pronounce it. Tinnitus I a treatment say device. say tinnitus, but tinnitus. Okay, tinnitus. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So just uh, Let me check. So kind of like another one of these, like kind of cool, non invasive neuromodulation devices. I mean, I just think we're just going to see more and more of these.
0: Oh, you're right, tinnitus. It is tinnitus. Tinnitus. All right. Yeah. There we go. All right, sorry. It's great. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Continue. I was
1: right, Tom. I was you right. You were
0: right. I'll ask Chat GPT. How do you pronounce tinnitus? All right. There tinnitus. Well, I've learned something. Let's move on. Yes,
1: yeah, so you learn on. But anyway, uh yeah, non invasive device. I mean, it's a you know, another another one of these, um, device is sending uh, electrical pulses to the tongue uh you know to uh to treat something with uh, sounds played through headphones at the same time but um you know this uh this has FDA de novo approval you know and um, right now it has um availability throughout uh throughout Europe so
0: That's great. Yeah, we need to yeah, see There's been a lot of lot of device interest in in tinnitus now that I can say it. I'm going to say it a lot. Um and I and I can't imagine suffering from that so that's that's fantastic that people yeah. are developing ways to to minimize it
1: i know brian our farm editor had a lot of attention a year or two ago because he was you know parsing through um you know like that was one potential side effect from uh you know covid vaccine vaccines was getting tinnitus uh though at the same time if you got covid you could get tinnitus so you know i don't yeah. i don't think i'd tomato, worry about tomato. tinnitus about getting when it comes to getting <laughs> a covid vaccine like uh, i
0: didn't hear that was a side effect of either wow yeah that would stink it's yeah well claire Biot, welcome to the podcast
2: thanks for having me
0: I'm excited to uh, learn about the virtual twin uh, technology or the capabilities that Deso is offering. So I guess we should just start at the at the top. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting term, virtual twin. What does it mean and what are the key components of, of a virtual twin?
2: So I'll come to your question in a minute, but I would like to start with the why. Why do okay. we care about that? And for us at Dassault System, I mean, we have been transforming manufacturing industries for 40 years and why do we care so much about healthcare? Well, we think it's really timely because, you know, only half of the worldwide population has access to essential healthcare. We see that uh, healthcare expenses grow twice faster than GDP. And yet the healthy life expectancy hasn't progressed much in developed countries. And so for us at the system, why do we wake up every morning? Well, we want to help increase the healthy life expectancy for individuals with sustainable healthcare systems. And to achieve that objective, we put virtual twins at the core of our strategy. And here comes your question. <laughs> Why, <laughs> I might have another one though. Play?
0: Hold on. But yeah, no, let's, let's get into what it is first. So we're all on the same page. So
2: if I try to provide you with a definition, for me, a virtual twin is a common referential that is built and shared by different disciplines who collaborate on the project as a way to share knowledge and know-how. And because they share that common referential, they can ask what-if questions, what-if scenarios so that they can optimize that project. So in other words virtual twins which are actually building virtual worlds help anticipate and evaluate the impact of a product or an action before it actually happens and it also helps people imagine and collaborate differently in your moods <laughs> okay.
0: So this is an audio format people are listening to this what should they be thinking in their head when they say when we say virtual twin is it merely a computer program on a on a on a spreadsheet somewhere is it an actual device? What are we speaking of?
2: It's a great question. Actually, it can take many forms, and it can be one in one dimension, two dimensions, three dimensions, four. So let me give you a few examples. I think for healthcare, what we need at most is the virtual twin of the patient as a way to better understand diseases, test different treatment options, predict treatment outcomes. And that virtual twin of the patient itself can be the 3D model of an organ that will uh, contain the, the physics and we I know we are going to drill down more into this later, it can be a one or 2D view of the patient through, for example, a synthetic control arm, which would be what is the response profile of a patient to a given therapy. So really, the shape that the virtual twin is going to take depends on the question you're asking. And importantly, the ability to navigate from one virtual twin experience to the other, to navigate seamlessly, to connect different virtual twin experiences together is going to unlock additional value. So that, for example, the virtual twin of the product is going to fit uh, for the patient, or the virtual twin of the plant is going to fit with the product that you're planning to produce.
0: Interesting. So, what are the key benefits of the virtual twin? Is it is it speed? Is, is I imagine speed is one. I imagine ease is one. There probably are others as well.
2: I'd say speed for sure. I'll come back to that in a minute. Costs. I would say sustainability as well and ethics as well. And so, if I comment on each of them. What we see in the field of medical device engineering, like is uh, really the willingness to accelerate development cycles. And for us, it's going to go through the fail cheap, fail fast um, process. And so the idea is if you can democratize uh, the use of uh, the access to uh, virtual twins, then you can really accelerate the project lifecycle. And we have uh, reported KPIs uh, with some customers of cutting, you know, the the timelines by 40% for zero. Obviously reducing costs because you're going to reduce the need for physical prototyping is important and we have been able to report a uh, replacement of up to 90% 90 uh, of physical prototyping and by reducing that physical prototyping not only do you reduce costs but you're going to also increase your sustainability index because you're not going to waste raw material Interesting And the last item that I wanted to comment on is ethics if you can reduce the need for physical testing, then you can reduce the need for animal testing. And uh, the ultimate goal is also to reduce the need for patient t- testing by embracing in silico clinical trials.
0: So that kind of goes into my next question. When Maybe we can get into some examples as to how it's used. But when can this technology be brought in? Is it at the very start when someone comes up with an idea, or, hey? How about this, and then you run it through to see if it works, or has the product already been developed? It's capable of doing what it's capable of doing, and now we're at the testing stage.
2: So it depends on the types of virtual twins. I'd say virtual twins of products they are used quite commonly, but I think that there there is yet room for acceleration. I'll come back to that in a moment, and I would say that the adoption of virtual twins of humans is more on the is uh more at the beginning, uh, but we have promising examples. So let me comment on a few. I was talking about acceleration of the project uh, lifecycle. I can name one uh, pharma company which requires uh, connected injectors for their drugs. And so for them, the the question was, how can I accelerate uh, my development cycle? And they realized that most of their projects would fail late in the late stages and that there was a bottleneck with their simulation experts. So designers would change the shape of the connected pen and then they would log requirements for the simulation experts to run through and it would take a week for the simulation experts to do the work, come back with a report and you would iterate that way. And so it's uh, very uh, cumbersome. And the question they came to us with was, can you help us standardize the way we're gonna use virtual twins so that we can automatize some of the simulations and from there democratize the use of simulation. And so really the idea is to shift the curve to the left and fail uh, faster and cheaper And they have been able to report, for example, job tests from five hours, it would take five minutes, Uh, mold injections from two days into two hours. So you really see a shift by a log in terms of uh, the the timelines. And if you put all these steps of in the project uh, cycle together, it leads to an overall reduction of uh, 40% uh, in the timeline. So that's one example. Another example is, can I open a new factory faster? So I now have my, I know what product I need to produce. And either I it's, I, it's a new product that I'm going to bring to market, or it's a device that is already on the market and there is increasing demand and I need to open a new manufacturing line. So here the question is, can I build a virtual twin of the line or the virtual twin of the factory as a way to accelerate the opening of that new line? And we have been able to report, you know, acceleration of the opening of a new line by two months out of eight months. If you think about uh, products that would uh, bring uh, tens of millions of uh, dollars per month, then that's quite a lot of savings. And then the last example would maybe be more on the patient experience. I can speak. I wanted to speak about Vortex, which is uh, a project that we have run uh, with our 3D experience lab, which is a program for breakthrough innovation with a radiotherapy institute. And here, the question we wanted to raise was really focused on the patient experience, which is, okay, as a cancer pa- like many cancer patients will go through radiotherapy and it often takes four to five weeks between the time when the patient is going to be diagnosed to the start of therapy. And the patient is told, you know, you're gonna be tattooed as a way for us to align you uh, on the machine and make sure that the radio, the x-ray is going to target the, t- the tumor, but not your, um, Healthy cells, so you're gonna be asked not to move on the, on the tray. And so it's like the, the patient is going to spend four to five weeks in a high level of anxiety thinking about the experience they're going to go through. And so we have built a virtual reality experience for the patients so that as soon as they are diagnosed, they can experience what a radiotherapy uh, will be about. You know, they will be laying down on a with the machine that comes on top of their head, they will see that the machine is shooting to the left, to the right, et cetera, and they will learn how what it feels like. And so, our question is, okay, if we consider that this is going to improve the experience for the patient, can we demonstrate it? And so, we have launched a clinical trial. It is supported by MediData Solutions as a way to dem- to quantify the impact on the level of anxiety for the patient.
0: Wow. Well, that's an interesting sort of place to ask this question. So how did the so system ensure that the, the twins represent the real-world systems that they're modeling? I mean, it's such a that's an, Having the anxiety kind of injected in there kind of adds a whole new element to it. How do you measure information from all these different sources?
2: It really depends on the virtual twin that you're going to build. And here, again, maybe I can take three examples. Actually, I realized we have gone all that far in the podcast without me mentioning our Living Heart project, which has really been a foundational project. So I can say a few words and tell you how what kind of data fits into that project. So the, the Living Heart is a virtual twin of the heart, which is uh, going to be scientifically uh, rooted in different kinds of physics. So the geometry is right. So we have, we take a CT scan to have the shape of the heart. We have the orientations of the fibers. Then you're going to reproduce the behavior of the heart, which is a pump, right? It's an electromechanical behavior. The pump is going to contract under an electrical signal. And then we're going to be able to reproduce the uh, blood flow, which is uh, hemodynamics. And so in that case, the living heart. The kind of data that fit the model would be uh, several folds, but we have been collaborating with a broad ecosystem, 100 uh, participants across uh, the entire world, including cardiac surgeons, cardiologists, medical device developers, regulators, academic researchers. And so we have been feeding in the model a lot of publications with uh, equations uh, from physics, you know, like laws of hemodynamics, for example that make sure that we have deep scientific roots in that model. And then of course, the need is to parameterize the model so that you can have a personalized model for a patient. And here the data that would fit into the the twin in order to to, uh, personalize the model would be patient data. So images, CT scan, MRI, uh, and that would uh, allow us to fine tune the model. So that's the first example I wanted to comment. I can add two others uh, more briefly. You know that a lot of uh, medical devices are connected devices, so there is a lot of questions about battery life cycle. We are able to build virtual twins of batteries as a way to make sure that we understand the behavior and we can improve the longevity of the batteries. And in that case, the idea is, of course, we're going to start with the physical laws. We can go all the way down to quantum mechanics. And then we're going to test some hypotheses at at the bench and make sure that we have, we call that D plus R, virtual plus real, so that the data collected at the lab are going to feed into the, the model and uh, improve reliability of that model. So that was example number two. If I take a third one to show you the diversity of data that can feed the virtual twin, I was talking about sustainability earlier. When you develop a new product, a medical device, and it can apply to other industries within the system as well. Of course, you want to make sure that the materials that come into play in that uh, device are going to be as sustainable as possible from their own impact. And of course, from their scope three, which would be all the, the supply chain that's going to be involved to source the raw material. And so we are able to feed our 3D Expense platform with the largest database in the world, which is named EcoInvent. That's we come with the footprint of raw materials as a way to help engineers optimize the raw materials that will come into the, uh, the design of a medical device. That's a third example with, uh, different types of data f- feeding to the twin.
0: Wow. And I imagine that, uh, I mean, does AI and machine learning come into play? It must be very helpful in, in managing all this information.
2: Yeah, of course. So the idea I was talking about batteries earlier, you get data from the lab. Can you train algorithms so that they're gonna do, uh, IJ loops from the, the in-silicon models to, uh, generating, you know, Candidates that would be meaningful. We do that. We call that generative therapeutic de- or generative design can apply to batteries in material science. It can also apply to therapeutics that's far away from medical devices, but that's uh, important for our BioPharma customers. And I can also provide you with an example of the use of AI for the virtual twin of patients. You know, I was talking about imaging from, from the patient and the ability to build personalized models. And so obviously AI can come into play as a way to accelerate reconstruction of the personalized twin from the patient images to the virtual twin. That's another example of the use of AI.
0: Interesting. This is life sciences, medical devices, data analysis is meaningless without sort of syncing up with the regulatory bodies that give the green lights for these products. Where is the FDA and other regulatory bodies you're, you're working with, how do they view the virtual
2: twin technology? So there is a lot of interest from FDA. We actually haven't had a long lasting partnership with FDA on virtual twins. And so I want to comment on one, which is, we have we have called the Enrichment Project. And so we that's a project we announced in 2019 and for which we're about to release uh, in a few months from now, a playbook, which will be co-authored by uh, FDA and the system. And so the question we wanted to ask is, OK, now that we have this living heart model, Can we use the living heart model as a way to generate a library, a cohort of virtual patients to run an in-silico clinical trial? And so we have chosen the mitral valve regurgitation as a disease model. And the idea is, can we validate a repair device in that cohort of virtual patients as a way to limit the number of real patients that will have to go through a clinical trial? And so, of course, this has to obey uh, uh, to the guidelines that... uh, FDA has released in terms of uh, modeling and simula- the use of modeling and simulation in medical device engineering, and that's what we have been doing over the past uh, four years.
0: Wow! So, if if you're getting a positive indication from the regulatory bodies, you review the benefits for sustainability. Ethics and speed. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it would seem to be uh, a very compelling argument for for virtual twin technology. How many companies you're working with right now, and do you have a projection or a hope of of what you see happening in the next five years or so?
2: Of course, it's always difficult to predict the future. So, we first and foremost we already have you know ten, tens of thousands of customers in the medical device industry that we collaborate with. Not all of them would build you know virtual twins of humans, but they have. All of them are working on. Uh, models and virtual twins of products, which means that there is a uh, really room for, for uh, rapid expansion. And so for us, really what's going to change in the next five years is uh, the way care is going to be delivered. And so today, when you think about the patients, a lot of data is gathered from the patient, but this data is not contextualized. And so for us in the next five years, accessing virtual twins or the ability to build virtual twins is really going to help the patient data in context so that it's gonna help with a clinical decision so i would say that's the, the major shift that we're expecting and on which we are preparing with our customers
0: wow To so any companies listening to this interview what advice do you give when you're talking to a company about this and they're expressing interest what sort of advice to give to them whether or not they should use the virtual twin
2: so i'd say first we share the same passion and i think we share the same goal and i would tell them you know if you're considering the concept of the virtual twin but you're cautious to get started because it's a heavily regulated industry, I would suggest you challenge yourself and you challenge your status quo. Look at what we're doing with FDA. I've been talking about FDA enrichment project. I could also name the synthetic control arms that we're building and that have, you know, already uh, seen a tremendous success on the biopharma side. And so I'd say, of course, all of you are engaged in digital initiatives. I would encourage you to move from digital to virtual and uh, make sure that you're going to, you know, leverage virtual worlds as a way to extend and improve the real world.
0: Great. Fantastic. Well, it's uh, it's kind of mind-blowing <laughs> to hear about all that that's gone on, especially with the Living Heart program and, and where you're headed. I'm excited to hear about your your progress in the future. Thanks for taking a few minutes to share what you're up to with Virtual Twin.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for the interview.
0: All right. Chris Newmarket, let us roll on to number three on the New Newsmakers. Number three
1: on the list. Um we've got uh we've got uh the uh got the uh, CEO of uh of uh Livanova, um resigning effective immediately and uh, with the uh, board chair uh you know assuming an uh, interim uh, CEO responsibilities over at, at the uh, company. Um interestingly enough, you know, at the same time that um that uh, you know, Damian McDonald was uh, resigning. They they also released uh, some uh, preliminary uh, first quarter revenue numbers that uh, you know showed uh, you know surpassing what the Wall Street consensus was. So, but um, I noticed uh, Mike Matson over Nita and Company was you know noting. Uh, he was saying like there was you know several you know pipeline disappointments at uh, at Nova. So you know it sounds like the uh, board just decided they uh, you know needed to try something new
0: over there. Yeah, as you quoted Mike Matson, who has been on the podcast, uh, or you, you paraphrased, a new CEO could pare back expenses uh, involving pipeline initiatives, engage in additional cost reductions in administration and sales, and perhaps even sell the company to a strategic or private equity. So, yeah, I even
1: brought that everything's up. Everything's on the so table, I guess. I yeah. like everything's on the table. So,
0: yeah. Okay. We'll watch that story develop. And,
1: and for those who don't know, Livanova is a, a cardiac surgery and neuromodulation device company.
0: Very good. Yeah. All right. Chris Newmark, bring us on to number two on the New Yeah, number
1: two on the list. you know, Johnson Johnson. I mean, you know, you know, we've you know, we've reported a bit on how there have been, you know, layoffs over there as they're, you know, trying to, you know, reduce expenses. But uh, you know, J and J is uh, you know, they actually had a good street beating first quarter, including with their med tech business. Um, you know, like the JJ J and J MedTech revenues were up six point four percent. Year over year, and um, there was a lot of talk about electrophysiology product products uh, it, during the earnings call. Um, you know, including with uh, their the head of J and J MedTech, Ashley McAvoy, like uh, you know, kind of you know saying that they're uh, they really think they've got a winning combo with this idea that you know you could you have a system that you know pairs RF ablation with this you know, with the new pulse field ablation, you can kind of toggle between those two, and something Medtronic's going at as well. You know, through their you know, the technology they got from uh, a Farah, but uh, that mm-hmm. seems to be like a, you know, we were looking at what's exciting around the space. I mean, it's, it seems like there's a lot of excitement that, you know, they're going to, you know, boost the way they, uh, like AFib is uh, treated through ablation. So it's going to be exciting to see where this goes.
0: Absolutely. No, for sure. Uh, a lot of new companies there, uh, a lot of new uh, startups and uh, yeah, we've, uh... We'll have uh, Tim Lasky from Medtronic talking about uh, how NightNol is is being used in, in their system at Device Talks Boston, and I know J and J was eager to talk about their uh, their cardiac ablation business as well. So maybe we'll get try to get them at Device Talks West. That would be great. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Uh, and
1: and there was robot news in the J and J call as well. Um, they oh really? Yeah, there was. I mean, because they. Uh, I mean, it was you know there was kind of some. I mean, there definitely was a kind of a question mark like what's what's going to be next with what they're trying to do, you know, when it comes to competing with intuitive. I mean, they had some, you know, layoffs with their, uh, you know, r- robotic surgery, you know, teams in, uh, in California, but they said they're moving forward on their Atava robot and, you know, they will be uh you know, expect news out, but what's next with that, you know, in the second half of the year. So we'll, we'll keep our ears out for, you uh, know, keep, you know, listen, you know, you'll keep uh, trying to follow that. That'll be great.
0: Well, you know what I'm going to say, right, Chris Newmarker? What are you going to say? Twenty. If you want to hear directly what's going on and uh, J and J's uh, robotic system, we'll have or robotics business. We'll have Martin Bueller, who's the global head of robot- robotics R and D. He's actually the keynote speaker at our healthcare robotics engineering forum, which is also happening on May 10th 11th at the Boston Convention Exhibition Center. Uh, but it's synced to, to, it's right next door to Device Talks Boston. So you have a choice of listening to great presentation by Boston Scientific. Uh, Megan Scanlon and, and others will be talking about their Lithiview system. Fantastic. Or you can uh, head on over to Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum and hear from Martin Bueller, the global head of robotics R and D at Johnson and Johnson. fantastic. fantastic. So. And we did not pick these bit, these stories to, uh, to promote Device Talks Boston. We just we just have a lot of stuff going yeah. on. We're so going to be talking we, about almost everything. <laughs> so we can, we can
1: get a better idea of what's next just in a few weeks, you know, at the at the there show. So that will be fantastic.
0: You making some news of our own, my friend. That's right. All right, Chris McGregor, sad number 1. Bring on the number
1: 1 Newmark. Yeah, newsmaker. I mean number 1. Um, you know, like uh, you know, you know we've Big question, you know, like a lot of talk about significant expense reductions to Medtronic, you know, and this week, you know, the, you know, the email, you know, went out, you know, across Medtronic from CEO Jeff Martha that, you know, they've, you know, they've they layoffs have begun in earnest over there, you know, and this is Martha was saying this is going to be a month long process, you know, and global. So we'll, we'll just keep on following this and, you know, and, you know, here's, you know, here here's to hoping that, you know, this can you know, like, you know, Medtronic can have, you know, some, some better days, days going forward. But, you know, as, uh, as we said, you know, though, there, you know, there are companies hiring, um, there are opportunities around there. So.
0: Yeah. And I think this is something that had been anticipated. Um, And I, and I think it, it uh last, last week's number one, which is about the, 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 the 50 or so positions uh, in California. I think we were sort of looking for indications of what we've been hearing about layoffs and, and this, uh, this kind of cemented, uh, the rumors and the speculation that there'd be layoffs at Medtronic. I know we've had, we've heard of some people cut this week. We've seen it on LinkedIn, you know, people personally who have been let let go. So, um, yeah, it's almost every company or many companies out there are going through it. Um, unfortunately, and as we said at the top, uh, Hopefully, those folks will find uh, other opportunities in, in medical devices because there are a lot of companies hiring. So, yeah, maybe this will bring new talent to those other businesses. That'll bring new ideas and, and re-energize the sector as a whole. So we can uh, we can hope for the best.
1: I mean, it kind of reminds me of how um, I mean, you I mean, IBM still in the past had like a lot of jobs down in southern Minnesota, and as they pare down those jobs, I mean, there's actually. You know, people, people I've met across the, you know, the Twin Cities who are involved in medtech who've got IBM roots, you know I mean? They kind uh-huh. of, it kind of seeded the whole industry with people who had like, kind of like computing talent, you know, you know, sure. even, even though we're seeing like these cuts over at Medtronic, which are really tough. I mean, we could, I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be kind of like a more of a former Medtronic. I mean, I think there already is a tad, but you're going to see more of a former, maybe more, a little bit more of like a former Medtronic club around, you know, all the... You know, around around uh, you know all, all the like younger smaller companies like you know mm-hmm. people they brought on you know from from this. So and you know Medtronic, I mean they've they there's exciting, some exciting things going on over there, including like I mean, Pulse field ablation right there at the top of my head. You know something that you know could uh, could be really good over there. They're doing some you know cool stuff in the spine space. So yeah, we'll see.
0: Yep. See how it goes. Reynolds Innovation is one we'll keep an eye on. Obviously uh, a lot a of growth in the them. spine space. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I mean, that, that's kind of, I mean, that, that seems to be the, the, the story seems to be that, I mean, in general, it's more expensive right now to run a business. Um, but, you know, Medtronic also had some, some things that in the past, they were saying we're going to be big things for them, like renal denervation and, and surgical robotics. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's taking, taking longer for that to really, really pan out for them. But, but as I said, yeah. there's other opportunities. So. You know. I don't know see where see where it goes hopefully diabetes hopefully that can you know they've been working through like a really tough warning letter from fda over diabetes you know hopefully yeah. but they say they've answered a lot of fda questions around it now at this point so hopefully that they can get that kind of turned around you know because that's an exciting well, we're, space
0: we're hoping to have uh expecting to have q delara the head of diabetes on uh the next medtronic talks podcast It'd be so fantastic we'll yeah get, we'll get an update there here we go all right, Chris Newmarker, a very uh, very complete list. Uh, great job on the, on the newsmakers. Sounds great, Tom. Well, Jitesh Vito, welcome to the podcast.
3: Thank you. Th- thank you for having me.
0: I'm excited. I've actually never spoken with someone at MDIC, and that sounds ridiculous, given that I've been talking about the industry for so long. Give us a little bit of background, if you would, before we get into the topic, what MDIC is, uh, its mission and its
3: role. So MDIC, the Medical Device Innovation Consortium, is a non-profit public-private partnership. We have uh, stakeholders um, from medical device manufacturers, FDA and other regulatory bodies like uh, MHRA, Center for Medicare and Medicare Services, and uh, patient advocacy groups and uh, our patients and other non-profit organizations. So we are a consortium with the organizations being our, our member. And at the onset, I wanted to make it clear that MDIC, even though it's a consortium, we don't focus on advocacy or lobbying or policy. What we focus is purely on the regulatory science uh, portion for the medical device stakeholders. So here is what I can explain. You know, Now, there are other trade associations who work on uh, policy. Now, policy means uh, whether it's from industry point or FDA point, there is a you know it's a long process, right? You need to probably need to change the laws, change the guidance, and so on. i a say, you know, long process. What can we do right now within the existing regulatory framework, whether it is uh, industry or FDA? You know, come together, think about the challenges, and find creative solutions to advance the medical device sector. When I say device, diagnostics is included imaging is included in that everything which is coming under in case of your us, US uh, fda cdrh that's what we do so for the past 10 years we have been you know addressing different challenges that industry is facing or, or fda is facing across the total product life cycle bringing stakeholders to this platform in a pre competitive space so that there is, you know you are not uh, targeting one specific uh, industry or um, a specific case but rather the common challenges industries faced and then coming up with the consensus based uh, solutions so you have a lot of frameworks a lot of templates and so on which industry can utilize and when i say industry you don't have to be mdic member to utilize all these resources we put out so that's the beauty of uh, mdic suggest anybody who is not familiar with mdic just visit mdic.org and um, take a quick look and uh, see whether immediately the resources might be valuable for you. It is appropriate to consider your organization being an MDIC member.
0: So are you providing the data or the facts to sort of buttress the arguments or, or lobbying that others might might be making? Or are you also engaging with the regulatory bodies and trying to affect change directly?
3: So change directly that might be a better way to say because uh, let's assume we have already an existing guidance but industries are still trying to figure out how we can you know satisfy that requirement or there are new technologies and new new challenges Mm -hmm. challenges for example in digital health uh, which one of my programmatic areas at mdic there are a lot of uncertainties guidances are yet to be made available so the companies are all de- already developing all these, uh, you know, innovative products, which are, you know, there are patients who are in need of these technologies or uh, these treatments, right? So how can, as an industry, together along with FDA or other regulatory bodies, come with uh, come together and figure out in the current um, uh, statute or current regulatory um, in framework, how can we do things better, faster, safer, and so on? So. That's what we do. In some cases, we end up uh, with um, best practices, which will be very complementary to particular guidance from FTA. Or in some cases, we will be providing some kind of uh, template, how to do early feasibility study or how to do the budgeting or contracting and so on. So these are all going to be really useful resource either for FDA employees or for the industry stakeholders okay. and, you know, to do things better, faster, safer or in effective fashion.
0: Great. So that work sort of ties us into the the conversation we're having today. You've put out a a landscape report, an industry survey that looks at the use of computational modeling and simulation in medical device development. So tell us about that report, and then maybe we can talk about how does CMS or CM and S Mm -hmm. support device development?
3: Yeah, I think maybe I should start with one specific situation and explain uh, for the audience the beauty of modeling and simulation. Now, anybody who is uh, familiar with uh, how drugs or devices are coming to market, uh, it doesn't matter whether it is USA or um, elsewhere, you have a main main component of clinical trials, right? Now, clinical trials means, you know, finding the uh, device, you know, designing the study, finding the appropriate uh, patient population, and there's a whole lot of process, you know. Now, that means it's a slow methodical uh, costly uh, process very complicated process to do uh, clinical trials whether it is device or diagnostics or uh, drugs now there are rules and regulations um, and um, you know that i mean clinical trials are vital you know to prove the safety and effectiveness of uh, a drug or a device can we do it slightly differently you know can we use um, you know technology or innovations um, to do clinical trials sli- trials slightly differently that's one example for modeling and simulation so we did a project mdic did a project in 2015 2016 period along with industry and uh, fda and of course c- certain academic partners were also involved So here is the uh, scenario. Can we do a clinical trial? Let's assume that clinical trial was conducted with 100 people usually. What about if you do that same trial with 70 people and then submit the data to the regulatory bodies with 30 additional uh, uh, data points, but that remaining 30 coming from clinical computational modeling and simulation. So you have now as a net, net result, you have 70 plus 30 from modeling and simulation. So the net 100 is maintained. So that means you are not sacrificing the power of the clinical trial, but you are saving considerable amount of time and cost by reducing the number of actual patients exposed in that clinical trial and having the modeling and simulation complement that remaining 30 without sacrificing the power of clinical trial. Mm. We call that as a virtual patient um, study. And... uh, you know, to do that, you need um, multiple, you know, components, right? For example, this is a new approach. So we need uh, a buy-in from stakeholders, industry, experts, as well as uh, our regulatory bodies like FDA. So we brought everybody together, created a case study, which we can, uh, using modeling and simulation, you know, we can simulate in cardiovascular space. That's what the example we uh, developed at that point of time We also did, you know, once you have a study, you need to do submission to FDA, right, in the real studies. But in this case, what we did is we did a mock submission with FDA. That means the device uh, study group had FDA employees. Now, the submission, when we did the submission to review the submission, we had uh, FDA employees too. But they're not the same group of people, which was kind of blinded. But we did as if we were doing a real submission with our uh, consensus-based approach. And uh, in that process, we learned, okay, are we in the right track? Can this pass through the existing regulatory burden or regulatory framework with FDA or other regulatory bodies? And all those uh, communications and uh, feedback has been converted into uh, public-facing documents and shared. Now, I mean, of course, it was in 2016-2017 period by the time we finish it. All these learnings now other comp- the manufacturers are utilizing for the, their particular cases. So we did one study uh, in cardiovascular space. Now other companies are using it for diabetes, it's diabetes and other cases where they are significantly able to reduce uh, the cost of actual clinical trial and expose less number of uh, patients, actual subjects to a clinical trial and still make sure that the trials are done without sacrificing the power of actual trial. This is one case, specific case study. So, of course, when I said um, this study was done in 2016-17 period, we didn't end there. Now we are partnering with Dassault Systems and um, FDA for an in-silico clinical trial project, which is kind of a next level on what virtual patient project we did previously. We're still working with um, industry stakeholders to make sure that they're adopting these new out-of-the-box methodologies to advance the field using modeling and simulation.
0: What is it about diabetes space and I think you said the cardio space? What qualities do they have them? make it a place to implement computer modeling?
3: In fact, modeling and simulation can be utilized in almost all the fields, I would say. The reason we selected cardiovascular space for our first case study was one is that field seemed a little more mature in terms of availability of models and data and the availability of subject matter experts and, and so on. And then cardiovascular space in some of the clinical trials are really hard. And then, for example, considering a diversity of the population, you know, whether it is age and, uh, you know, race and many other factors. And uh, again, doing clinical trials is extremely hard. At that point of time, we had availability of enough uh, stake, interested stakeholders and subject matter experts to do this uh, first of its kind study. Now, I mentioned about the Living Heart project, which is in collaboration with the DASOL systems. Again, when we have a model of a reasonably mature uh, model of a heart, living heart, it's easier to adopt, I mean, conduct st- studies in that space compared to a field where we have to develop new models and new expertise.
0: Interesting. So what were some of the surprises, the report and the survey sort of presented?
3: Yeah. I wouldn't say surprises because since uh, MDIC has been monitoring the modeling and simulation field for the medical device from 2013, 2014, we, are, we I can say we are monitoring the trend. So nothing really surprising, but some of the key takeaways are the industry now more and more recognizes the fact that regulatory bodies like FDA are willing to act CMS as competition modeling and simulation as an evidence you know, that proportion is, has been increased than we compared 2014 survey with the 2021 survey. Now, we also found that more and more companies or manufacturers are utilizing modeling and simulation in their total product lifecycle, whether in multiple phases of the product development, product development. But even though I said they are utilizing the modeling and simulation in their pipeline, that's not getting translated into the actual regulatory submission. Maybe if I say, if there are 100 manufacturers uh, reported that they are utilizing modeling and simulation in their pipeline across the product lifecycle, only 50% of that actually utilized those modeling and simulation in a regulatory submission. So there is still a gap. That's partially due to... The uncertainty about in uh, you know, a modeling simulation or regulatory uncertainties how to utilize and uh, how to proceed that has been a challenge. Now I also should I um, mean mention in the survey we have seen more and more. For um, I mean manufacturers stating that now we are more familiar with FDA gui- guidance and guidance documents. Thankful for the additional documentation provided by FDA, whether at, whether it has a actual guidance or white papers or ad- additional resources or some of the tools that FDA has been providing like uh, MDDTs and so on. There are other standards like AN- I mean a- ANSI V forty standard which is available now. So the field is evolving, but uh, again. I would say that adoption is not at par with probably, if you consider with automotive industry or aerospace industry, we're still uh, lagging.
0: What are the barriers to entry? Why are, uh, I mean, it seems as if this would be a, a very attractive option for, for companies to save money and, and presumably yeah. time as well, what's holding them back?
3: Yeah, so the first and foremost, what we heard through the survey was the regulatory uncertainties. That's one key component regulatory bodies, whether it is FTO or other uh, agencies across the world, now they are working in a more con- concerted fashion to harmonize some of these concepts. So that's changing. But overall, I would say that you know there are clear messages from regulatory bodies that bring it on, whether it is as a pre-submission or a Q submission or additional discussion. But then there are other challenges. One significant thing is we still lack expertise internally with the manufacturer, manufacturers. Now, in our surveys, our slightly biased towards larger manufacturers with more than a billion dollar annual revenue, but we still found that the internal resources in terms of modeling and simulation is not at par. And then in many cases, lack of adequate infrastructure in terms of, whether it is uh, validated data or uncertainty about the parameters and so on. So there are some missing pieces in the actual implementation, actual modeling and simulation itself. So that that needs to be overcome. And then even though I say cost saving, again, depending upon the the case in hand, the cost can be a significant consideration. In one case or or in one uh, scenario, I would say, some of the modeling software or resources provided by third party providers like datasource systems or other cloud pro- uh, cloud computing companies you can start with uh, zero um, you know uh, initial investment it will be like opening an email account right there is no initial investment the expense will be cost will be based on the actual utilization of the specific software or uh, platform but then cost can significantly jump. Let's assume if you're trying to simulate individual patients with a lot of complexities, those needs a very high computing power. And some of those can take multiple days in terms of actual computing. So that can really be a consideration in certain cases. So, again, there is a business case need to be defined in certain cases. In certain cases, it's like a cultural thing for the company. We haven't used modeling and simulation. We were doing it in the traditional way. Why should or how should we adopt modeling and simulation? And I think that's where platforms like MDIC or collaborative project between FDA industry, like the Living Heart projects and so on, or Enrichment Project makes a lot more sense to increase the awareness and adoption.
0: So, are you directly giving advice to companies to pursue this strategy?
3: We have a very robust steering committee at MDIC for modeling and simulation, which includes experts from FDA, um, industry, and so on. And we very actively communicate, uh, share thoughts, strategies, and we are very specific projects in very specific areas. So, as you. No, the landscape report is one, one aspect that uh, the, our group has um, put forward, which we'll be doing on a, a periodic basis. But there are other projects as well, you know, which we are promoting. Now, let me give one another example, a recent project. I actually mentioned developing models for industry or a specific model, computational model, suitable for a specific industry or a specific case can be expensive. But that model might be already available out there in the public domain because federal entities like National Institute of Health, NIH, or uh, DARPA or National Science Foundation, NSF, probably uh, they're all funding a lot of uh, academic researchers to develop various models. Now, those models are available out there, but industry is not connected, not necessarily connected with that publicly available models are sometimes it's not even sure whether they are matching or not for the industry needs so the steering committee recently so our steering committee has got folks from NIH and FDA and industry as i mentioned we came up with this idea we need some kind of assessment to match industry needs for modeling and simulation with what's out there in the public domain so the, there is a you know it's a multifaceted approach so we are going to do an industry assessment what models and models do you need for your current uh, line of work? And then we are going to compare it with uh, the publicly publicly funded models available there NIH from NIH or NSF and so on. Now, that results are going to uh, say, for NIH, you guys are funding uh, these areas, phenomenal, really good models, but these models need to be validated and qualified to meet up with FDA requirements or industry requirements. So let's do some additional work on some areas. And in some cases, we can say, hey, we need a lot of orthopedic models. NIH is not funding. There is a mismatch. So you can change your funding strategy. So that's uh, feedback information. And in the process, industry is going to find out the models which are almost matured or you know close to maturity and some things which can be you know validated and uh, so on. So that's the one process. And in the process, FTA can also find out all right, there is a model which many companies probably can utilize. Let's validate and qualify this particular model using the MDDT mechanism, medical device development tool mechanism, so that this is widely available. So that can increase uh, the adoption, reduce the cost for companies who wanted to utilize a specific uh, model or a specific data set. So that's a recent project from MDIC. So we are in that phase where we are asking industry manufacturers to provide their needs through an assessment survey. And then in the next phase, we'll start curating the models that's out there in the public domain and doing all this matching and making it broadly accessible.
0: So very often, medical device the medical device industry trails other industries in, in adopting new approaches and new technologies. How is computer modeling catching on in other industries? Is it used more broadly? And if it continues to be used more broadly in other industries, will that sort of pull along medical devices and increase interest in this industry?
3: absolutely i think you know other industries they are much ahead of uh, medical device industry whether it is automotive aerospace and uh, aviation sector now what i have seen in the recent years medical device industry is bringing experts from other sectors as their subject matter expert to drive the i mean in the internal process or internal strategy then on the other side regulatory uh, frameworks need to be revisited or reassessed which is happening so but that's a a slightly slower process now here is where mdi is you know um, playing a significant role usual cases fda is in this catching up game right there are more and more technological advancement companies are their uh, product development is at a higher pace, higher pace compared to where the regulatory framework is now doesn't mean that we sh- the company should not be able to or will not be able to uh, submit and get the marketing approval but that can be a one-to-one process a long you know um, laborious process. but when we see the uh, there is a lot of movement in the field then MDIC can play a role in bringing the stakeholders together and uh, you know coming up with uh, some kind of best practices for it can be as simple as like this. How do we even write the description of a model and submit to FDA? What is the best way to do that? That can significantly reduce the review time, you know, from regulatory bodies and so on. So I think there is no lack of examples from other sectors uh, that we can leverage. It has been demonstrated beyond reasonable doubt. It's just the cultural shift, the historical perspective, and then the way the Products are approved through the regulatory frameworks, not only in the U.S., across the um, globally, that needs to be slightly uh, changed. But that's happening right now with, you know, pandemic situation and uh, advancements in the field. We are seeing more movements, uh, whether it is uh, best practice frameworks or uh, standards or actual guidance in the field. So it's clearly right track right now in terms of adoption.
0: All right. Well, it's uh, exciting stuff. Thank you for sharing your insights and for, for joining us in the podcast.
3: Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. All
0: right, Chris Newmarker, that is a wrap. Where can folks find you on LinkedIn? Hey, can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a Newmarker. I'm on LinkedIn, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I, still kind of on Twitter at MedTechTom, uh, but not so much. Uh, what do we yeah. want folks to do with this podcast, hey, Chris Newmarker? you got to like, follow, subscribe. Absolutely. Like, follow, and or subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network. You will receive future episodes of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast, the Intuitive Talks Podcast, the Striker Talks Podcast, the Boston Scientific Talks Podcast. We just dropped episode two yesterday. If you were a subscriber, you would have received that. And uh, coming up in June, we should have the Abbott Talks Podcast. So, uh, And we've got discussions with many other names that you would recognize. So uh, don't miss out on that. And uh, Device Talks Boston. Happening on May 10th and 11th. We've kind of referenced it throughout. So I don't need to tell you anything more about it other than you can use the code DTWeekly25. Oh, there we go. Save 25% off the price of registration. Uh, Fantastic. Registration is very strong, but we want to see everyone there. So uh, please don't delay. Uh, make sure you're there. It's going to be a nice time in Boston. It's going to be a great two days to connect, to build your networks, to build your knowledge. And uh, hopefully to uh, to to meet Chris and myself it would be great to to say hello to folks who are listening to the podcast.
1: I know last year was just it was just awesome. You yeah, have people I was able to you know catch up with and talk, and you know like it's great just to see so many people in person. I'm just excited.
0: I am too. I am yeah. too. I can't wait to stand up on that stage and, and welcome welcome everybody. To the morning of May 10th, it's going to be a lot of fun. It'd be awesome. And of course, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Dassault Systems, for uh, sharing this great information about the virtual twin program, and we look forward to their conversation. On May 10th at Device Talks Boston. All right. All right. And of course, we have our final Device Talks Tuesdays with Intertech uh, of, the, of the spring season uh, will be this Tuesday at 4 p.m. And then we'll resume Device Talks Tuesdays uh, late May. May 30th will be the beginning of our summer season. So uh, fantastic! don't forget Device Talks Tuesdays.
1: Take care, everybody. Summer is on the way.
0: <laughs> Glad to hear it.